women, especially often, especially in today's world, want to choose the healthier options, but in that area specifically are not willing to sacrifice how they look and how they feel to do it. And so I saw these women using still name brand toothpaste and shampoo and conditioner, especially because those worked and there weren't natural ones that could outperform the conventional ones. And they weren't willing to have hair that was both waxy and oily and dry at the same time, just to avoid the chemicals. And so I realized if I wanted to help women make that switch, there had to be something that wasn't just comparable, that was better than the conventional one. And that was natural. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome to episode 120 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. But before we dive into our episode, we just have a couple of quick announcements. The first is that our upcoming seven-day functional medicine liver detox is going to kick off on Sunday, April 24th. And Marnie and I, as integrative health practitioners and health coaches, we run this program quarterly and we run you through really what's a wonderful and expansive seven-day journey to boost your immunity, reduce your toxic load and your bloating, increase your energy, improve digestion, reduce your cravings in just one week. And this program will really allow you to learn how to tune into your body's own unique needs and walk away with a set of tools and a better understanding of your own body. Plus, you will feel so proud of yourself for this accomplishment. Um, If you have any questions, please reach out to us, message us. You can head on over to the show notes um, to find a link to sign up and register, DM us, email us with questions that you have. We know that sometimes the word detox can seem a bit intimidating and you know, maybe a little bit daunting for people, but trust us from having been through this program numerous times ourselves and coached hundreds of people through it, that you can absolutely do this program with the support of a, an amazing community. And we already have a great group of people, both new participants and alumni signed up for it. We can't wait for you to join us. And then lastly, we just want to ask a favor. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you could please take just two minutes to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Doing so really helps us reach more people so that others can benefit from the inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you would share it with a friend, family member, or anyone who you think may benefit from this information. And now let's welcome today's guest. I am truly just beyond excited and honored to share with you the conversation we had with Katie Wells, also known as Wellness Mama, who is the founder and CEO of wellnessmama.com and wellness.com, which is her new natural personal care products company. Katie is a mom of six with a background in journalism who took her health into her own hands and started researching 
to find answers to her health struggles several years ago. Her research turned into a blog and a podcast, and she's now written over 1,500 blog posts, three books, and was named one of the 100 most influential people in health and wellness. When she's not reading medical journals, creating new recipes, or recording podcasts, you can find her somewhere outside in the sun with her husband, who she met walking across country, and kids, or undertaking some DIY remodeling project. I know you are just going to love today's conversation with Katie. She is just a remarkable human, and in this episode, she's going to share her personal health journey and that of her families, which ultimately resulted in her creating this just really strong, close-knit community of moms around the world who are all trying to just do what's best for themselves and their family and really question the status quo. And Katie's done so much research over the years that she puts out there on her blog, which I love. I've been using her as a resource since I started my health journey and became a health coach several years ago now. Um, And she's just so down to earth and real in addition to being just extremely bright um, individual. So in today's conversation, Katie's going to open up, really get vulnerable and share a bit of her personal health journey, including the various types of modalities that she's used to heal both, both her physical body, but also to calm her central nervous system and heal from childhood trauma. She'll explain how when our bodies are constantly in that sympathetic nervous state or that fight or flight response, we're more susceptible to illness. Katie will share her regular habit of both sauna and cold therapy and the benefits of doing both of these at the physical and the mental level. And then we're going to really dive in and talk about wellness, that's wellness with an E.com, Katie's new company that she created. She had been creating um, clean products in her kitchen for years and sharing those recipes on her blog, but now she has all these innovative products that are available to everyone um, through her website to easily access. And she shares why it's so important to pay attention to the ingredients that are in those personal care products that we use. And it's not just about removing the toxic ingredients, but it's really about adding the beneficial ingredients um, to support... um, when it comes to the toothpaste to support your oral microbiome. And you're going to learn about, you know, even ways to keep the enamel strong through her products. And, you know, I've been a subscriber to Katie's toothpaste since the company launched early on, and I'm a huge fan. I recently added the charcoal toothpaste, which is one of her newer product lines, which can help with removing stains on your teeth. And just very recently, they launched a new kid's toothpaste, which my youngest son is using, and he's already a fan. We'll talk about hair care and really why it's so important to pay attention to these products that many of us use every single day. So if you're not already following Katie on social media, we highly recommend it. Sign up for her newsletter. So many practical tips and just highlights of what's, you know, kind of the latest and greatest in the health and wellness space. So with that, let's dive right in to this super enlightening, inspiring, and motivating conversation with Katie Wells a.k.a. Wellness Mama. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Thrive Chiropractic. I was first introduced to Thrive Chiropractic over five years ago for kinesiology-based food sensitivity testing. I was so amazed by this non-invasive and inexpensive technique that I took my son to have testing done, which confirmed some of his food sensitivities. 
Both my son and I now have regular tune-ups, and even my leery husband has felt the immense benefits from receiving chiropractic care, including cupping. With over 25 years of clinical experience, the doctors at Thrive Chiropractic, located in Minnetonka, Minnesota, combine their passion for wellness with a strong expertise in effective treatment approaches. When you first come to Thrive Chiropractic, the doctors are focused on helping you feel better as soon as possible, and they recognize that one type of treatment or technique does not work for everyone. Your comprehensive exam, personal goals, and individual concerns help the doctors tailor your custom treatment plan for maximum results. Thrive Chiropractic's integrative approach offers holistic and effective healthcare with a full spectrum of complementary products and services, including acupuncture, massage, food sensitivity testing, CBD, and premium supplements. As a special offer, Thrive Chiropractic would like to invite listeners of our podcast to experience the gift of health with a $25 new patient visit, which includes the initial consultation, a comprehensive exam, any necessary x-rays, and first adjustments. Simply visit the website at www.thrivechiromn.com or call 952-746-5612 and reference the Arts of Living Well podcast. When you're seeking effective, non-invasive treatment approaches to support your health goals, let Thrive Chiropractic be your partner in wellness. Call or book online today. Hi, Katie. Marty and I are just incredibly honored and excited to have you as a guest on our show today. I remember back when I first discovered you, like, I don't know, maybe over seven years ago now, and I had just started my health coaching program and I was really diving into my own personal health and wellness journey. And your blog, wellnessmama.com became my like go-to source for all things wellness. And I just loved your content because I knew what a thorough researcher you were and you just, you did all the hard work for us and it really became um, pivotal for me. And then of course I started listening to your podcasts um, where I still discover so many amazing experts, including yourself and get immersed into all these great topics, all things health and wellness. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Great. So we know everyone has a story. Um, And for our listeners who may not know you, we would love to hear your journey, including what led you to become a health and wellness blogger and entrepreneur. And then you most recently launched your new business, Wellness. Yeah, I'll try to give the short version, but um, I guess the overarching thing is becoming an entrepreneur was somewhat an accident, but um, the mission side was a very fortuitous health problem for me. Um, So in 2005, I um, was pregnant with my first child and was finishing up. My background was in research and journalism before that. And I was originally thinking a career in like international law and politics, which I'm incredibly grateful did not work out. Um, but as often as the case, I tell people in hindsight, I'm like, if you want to create autoimmune disease, just do exactly what I did, which is be super stressed out, don't sleep enough and eat really crappy food all the way through high school and college. And then I think pregnancy was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. So I was having this kind of um, hurricane of things happen at once where I had my first baby. I was having these symptoms that I was being told by the doctor were just normal postpartum symptoms, but didn't feel like they were right to me. And I read in Time Magazine that year, in 2006 actually, that for the first time in two centuries, that generation of American children would have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. And that was just so striking with this tiny baby. And I resolved in that moment, I didn't have any idea how I would do it, but that I wanted to help change that number because that wasn't okay for my son and it wasn't okay for any children. 
Um, and it lined up with my own health challenges. And so research was my background. And I dove into the research, um, trying to find answers for myself. And with background in journalism, I also process by writing. So I was just taking notes and writing as I went. And I realized through publishing some of that, that there were many, many people in the same place I was. And a lot of the information that is much more available now and so much talked about through people like you and through all these people who are all having the conversation, it wasn't as widely available back then. Um, but I realized as I became a new mom that moms had so much tremendous power to sh help shift these things. And like, truly, if you want to get something done, ask a mom. <laughs> and so the question became like, how can I support other moms? Because the only way we change this is together as women making the change, as moms shaping the next generation. Um, we control the majority of the purchasing power in the US. Like we have tremendous ability to create change. So how can we best do that? And I realized the answer was, when you support the moms, you support everyone. And so my mission from the beginning uh, was just, how do I best do that? And the business part, I kind of had to learn and develop as I went, because the, the business was never the mission. It just is as it grew, um, I had to build the structure underneath it to keep it going. Um, and it has developed into really a huge community. And I think that's the most important key. Um, like we can look at all the statistics and the research, which is where my brain goes of that loneliness is actually the most damaging thing to your health. And that community is actually one of the factors that is present in all blue zones. And that is so important for longevity and for our children, especially in psychological development. And so I think that the developing it into a community of moms was really the thing that made it uh, able to help people so much. And I think we are best in community. And so I'm just really honored that I got to be in a place where I got to help nurture this community. Well, it's amazing what you've done. Um, and I, I love the mission and your passion, which what drove the business, but ultimately it was, it was coming from inside you to help all these people. And I totally agree with your, you know, the concept that ask a mom if you want something done, and then you're having this ripple effect on multiple generations at the same time when you empower the mom. So yeah, that's awesome. So you alluded to that you had some of your own health issues going on. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what was going on with you and how you kind of started to explore and use different modalities to heal yourself and to continue along on your health journey while bringing, you know, your listeners or your audience base and your mom population with you? Absolutely. In hindsight, I think it was a tremendous gift because I've heard it said by psychiatrists, for instance, like they go into psychiatry trying to fix themselves. And for me, that was actually what drove me into researching health was having gone to doctors, not getting answers, not knowing what was going on and realizing that um, this is the thing I say all the time now, which is we are each our own primary healthcare provider. And we can absolutely work with amazing partners in that. But the responsibility always lies with us. And that's a correlation in business and in parenting as well, which is that you want to have like a good team and work with partners, but at the end of the day, the responsibility for that lies within each of us. And that which we are responsible for, we have the ability to create change in. Um, that said, it did not happen overnight. I worked with a series of doctors, I think eight doctors, before I even got what ended up being a diagnosis of Hashimoto's. And um, now I like looking back, I have learned even about the language surrounding that. Like I used to say I have Hashimoto's um, and I actually don't anymore, but I realized that often we can identify with that condition. And I certainly did for a long time. So I took on the identity of I have Hashimoto's and I used a lot of physical modalities um, that I do think had a tremendous impact in reversing that. Um, but I also, it led me to the process of understanding that there was a huge other key that I had been ignoring. So I was doing 
on paper, the perfect diet. And I had like correlated it to my genes and I had built out a huge algorithm to make sure it was correlated to my genes. And I was doing all the fitness stuff and I was avoiding all the toxins in the home. And I had created this elaborate system for doing all the things that I thought were going to help me. And they, they were helpful, but it wasn't until I addressed the inner side, which I think uh, very often can be at least part of the equation of a cause of something like Hashimoto's, um, that all those things actually became more effective. And I think now that's the part I talk a lot to women about is addressing the inner side that makes those external factors a lot more effective when you actually start addressing them. Um, but on the languaging side, I encourage people like, don't say, don't identify with a health problem. Don't say I have that. And certainly don't say like, I am something like when I hear women say I am fat, I'm like, no, no, no. Your body currently has excess fatty tissue. You are not fat. Your identity is not that. And I think anything that we put after the words I am or that we use as an identity statement becomes very, very important. So I changed my language also from I have Hashimoto's to I am healing from Hashimoto's. I'm recovering from Hashimoto's. Um, and I, I do think there's a tremendous aspect of our language there. That's so powerful. I mean, it's just the mindset shift um, and, and how simple, but how challenging at the same time because of our environment, what we've been accustomed to. Um, so what are some of the things that you did to address, you've kind of mentioned like the inner side of healing from Hashimoto's? So like I said, I do think there was a, uh, a synergy there where I was doing the outer stuff. And I think there are so many tools now that are available and we have so much, many more resources on, like I did an autoimmune diet for a while. I removed things that were inflammatory. I made sure to get sunlight and exercise and hydrate and all those things. And I think those things are very, very important. But the part I hadn't addressed was the inner emotional side that for me personally linked back to childhood trauma and also a very specific trauma in high school. And I thought I had dealt with it because I didn't feel like it was emotionally affecting me every day. And what I realized um, was that I had created elaborate systems in my life as a result of that trauma. And it wasn't the physical trauma itself that had had the impact. It was the feeling of helplessness that was translating into also a feeling of helplessness in my health and in my expression of those things. Um, and that I, to avoid the pain of that ever again, internally had created an agreement with myself that I would never feel helpless again. So I created all these elaborate systems to never have to feel helpless again there's always a, a, like positives and negatives. Those things helped me be very effective business and very driven and helped me be, I think, a good mom in a lot of ways, but they also took away from aspects of that and made it harder. And so when I started really unpacking that, um, like it's not an exaggeration to say when I started releasing the trauma, I had struggled with weight loss as a result, I thought, because of the Hashimoto's and because of having six babies. And my internal questions were like, why is it so hard to lose weight? And all these, which of course my subconscious was answering, and when I shifted that internal part and dealt with the trauma without changing any of those other things, I lost now close to hundred pounds of which 30 pounds were in the first month, which is biologically, they will tell you not even possible, but it was partially, I would explain um, physiologically that I was in a sympathetic nervous system state all the time. So I was always on alert. My body was fight or flight or freeze all the time. There was no rest or digest or sleep and shifting that and releasing the trauma, let all those things I was already doing be effective. Wow. So what did you do to release your trauma specifically? This is one I wish I could just give people a blueprint because I do think none of us get to adulthood without any impactful experiences that had a negative connotation, certainly. And I think some of us have acute traumas. There's like the big T traumas. There's the little T traumas. And I very much also believe there's so much individualization and personalization. So there's not like a 
checklist I can give that seems to work for everybody. I think there's also an element of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I think in my mm -hmm. situation, I had finally reached a breaking point where a lot of potential things would have worked. And I did also do a lot of things during that process to help release it. The impetus for me was actually realizing, looking in the mirror and seeing my 12 year or 11 year at the time daughter see me look in the mirror and see it register in her face, how I was looking at myself and see her register that like dislike for my own body that she was seeing in me. That was probably the first time in her life she had ever thought to have a negative reaction to herself in the mirror because she was now seeing it modeled. And I realized as a parent, we can say things all day long, but they pay attention to what we do and what we model. And so that was the first time that I was, it made it like the pain of staying the same became greater than the pain of changing. And I realized whatever this is, I have to face it and I have to own the parts of this that I'm not doing because I don't want to pass this on to my daughters and I have four daughters. And so that led to at least an openness to the process. Um, for me, because the trauma was very physical, there ended up being a somatic element of unpacking that. And there's a, a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score that explains how trauma physically can store in our body and how often, like I used to think if I release this and I get better, then my body will adapt. But we can actually use the body as an effective tool in helping that emotional release as well. I think it's a, a both and, not an either or. So the very specific thing that started the cascade for me was being in a bodywork situation where I felt that helplessness again. And it, it sounds like really actually silly now when I look back. I was in, I was basically being held off the ground while having like somatic release from rolfing. But it was the being off the ground part that kind of broke me open because I was put face to face with that helplessness of I am not in charge of my connection with the ground at this moment. I am not in control of my experience. I think control is a big indicator often of that. Like when we have to have hyper control, it can point to a trauma or it can point to where that thing may be started from. But it was so severe for me because I didn't have those emotional experiences after the actual trauma itself. I thought I was fine because I didn't cry. I wasn't mad. In hindsight, I'm like, that actually could have been a great thing to pay attention to that in having six kids, I never once yelled at them. I didn't cry. Like I didn't have these big emotional things that actually can be a sign of a problem, not a sign of being okay, maybe. But I never had those things after the trauma. And so when that somatic release happened, when I finally got put down on the ground, my whole body shook like that adrenaline hormone release for hours afterwards. And it was like all those emotional layers releasing. And it made me realize in nature, animals get have near-death experiences all the time. Animals don't walk around with PTSD. And <laughs> as humans and our ability to cognate and to like override our subconscious with our conscious at times, we're able to create these systems that actually can be counterproductive to us. Animals somatically release naturally. If you see an animal get almost killed and then it gets away on National Geographic or something, it'll shake and it'll release that somatically. But humans can shut that down. And so after that first initial somatic therapy, I actually had that somatic release happen. And I think that started the hormone cascade of the physical stuff changing. But I think it also helped me uh, reconnect with those parts of my subconscious that I had like locked down as a protective mechanism and also realize that those, that wasn't a bad thing. Those things had kept me safe. And so instead of trying to fight them, I learned to accept them and thank them, but also realize I didn't need them anymore. And so I could release them from a point of safety, not have to like buckle down from a point of fear. Wow. I love, you know, I've heard this, I've heard you tell this before, but it's, it's even more powerful right now. Um, and I think 
there's you know, a lot of people that can relate to your story. And because I think whether it's a physical trauma or a big T, little T, we all have that. Um, and getting out of that fight or flight mode where we built up all these programs, like you said, to protect us. Um, and then the impact that that had on your physical health. I don't think, you know, without people hearing this story, they don't, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so this is just, thank you for sharing such a personal story. And I think um, it's, it's just amazing. It's very inspiring to hear, to know that there's other work that can be done. It's not just your, the, like you said, the perfect diet and all the things that you were doing um, to heal the physical body. Well, and in so many I, ways, that inner landscape is, I mean, it's equally and in sometimes even more important, right? Like, obviously, the healthy eating and all of that is also incredibly important, but your inner landscape is so important. And I loved the words that you used, too, of um, inspiration and vulnerability, because I've heard it said, you can't be both inspiring and unwilling to be vulnerable at the same time. And I can see how that's played out even in my mission of being able to connect with other women better in that when I was still in that experience of that place, I, and the internet can be a cruel place. I know you guys probably experienced this as well, but I felt like all these protective mechanisms of wanting to project this like perfect image out into the world and it not feeling safe to be imperfect or vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons of that for me was actually in our vulnerability, there's amazing strength and you're able to connect with people on a much deeper level when it comes from a place of, I am by no means perfect and I'm not claiming to be. And actually these are my fall down points and here's what I learned from them. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in that. I think we're seeing a big rise in that societally right now, which is awesome. And especially among women, I'm seeing women unite and support each other in beautiful, beautiful ways. Um, and I think hopefully this will be a cascade that continues. I agree. And it just shows that you're human and that we're all going through stuff because that lens that people see us through on social media, you know, it's, that's just a filter and it's one aspect. And um yeah, I'm so I'm personally really into this. I'm actually doing some like kind of this energy chiropractic work. And it's all about releasing the control and being in that sympathetic state too long. And the impact that that has had for me on some personal hormone issues, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So I think more people just talking and sharing is, has such a profound impact, especially, you know, when your audience is moms who are raising kids and you're thinking about your daughters and all that good stuff. Um, well, one of the, you know, one of the kind of regular habits I thought we could talk a little bit about, kind of break this up a bit is you, I know you love sauna and you also love cold therapy, which you've been doing in recent years. Um, and I saw that you recently had a guest on to talk about this, but I've heard you many times. Can you explain just some of the benefits of doing both of those and like what you've personally experienced from that? Yeah, I think there's actually like several different silos of conversation that can happen around this and depending on a person's needs one or the other might emerge as more important so I think in general as a group those things are all great for cultivating resilience both physiologically and mentally which I think those are both very very important I think for women especially the conversation gets a little bit more nuanced when you're talking about the specifics so I think of them as separate silos there's cold therapy there's sauna and then there's contrast therapy, which is when you combine them and they each have their own separate benefits. So depending on what your goals are, you might want to use those tools in different ways. Um, so cold therapy on its own, there's a lot of research and there's a lot happening right now related to cold and its role in hormones. Um, but anytime we're looking at something that can have a hormone impact, especially for women, I think that's, it's really important to keep it in perspective and to really look at what is the mechanism I'm trying to trigger by doing this so that you don't accidentally go too far and trigger 
uh, an inadvertent mechanism you don't want. So we know, for instance, cold exposure can correlate to brown fat, which is the fat we actually want. And this is the fat that is more present in the upper parts of the body and the neck in the back of the neck area. And that this is not correlated to actual body fat. In fact, it's inversely correlated to body fat. And this is a highly active fat tissue that we want to increase. Babies have it naturally before they get their shipper response. Um, and so if you're doing cold for, for instance, fat loss or for hormone adjustment, um, you want to be cognizant of the brown fat side. And then you want to be cognizant of not pushing that curve too far that you go past hormesis, which is good stress, and into it actually being a negative stress and affecting your cortisol patterns. Um, and as women, that curve seems to happen in a shorter time than with men. And so I think a lot of the research out there on cold specifically is male dominated, which is a very recurring thing in health because men are easier to study and they don't have as many hormone fluctuations. Um, and there have been a lot of research coming out recently on this that I think can be applied very well to women. And the good news is it all points to having to do less of it than we often think that we do. So there's a time and a place for the like long cold exposure that really is tough for resilience. But I'd say if your goal is actual physiological support, um, all the recent research points to more shorter term exposure that's cycled versus just stay in as long as you can and freeze yourself to death. Um, I, a couple of things that I find helpful within that specifically are, uh, and Andrew Huberman talks about this, doing short burst with breaks in between, hitting the shiver response and not drying off. So as a woman, I like to do one to two minutes, get out, not dry off, not get warm, get back in for one to two minutes, get out and do that a th three or four times. And you'll feel the shiver response, but you won't um, push that hormone curve too far. And another tip I don't hear talked about, but specifically for women, I have found really helpful. Um, we know from the research, the hands, the feet, and the face are considered glabrous regions, which means they cool the core body temperature much more effectively. So there's a lot of research talking about how this can be an effective tool for athletes to increase their endurance and their performance by keeping the hands and feet cold. But if we take that same logic... That means if you're in cold and your goal is fat loss or brown fat, those are areas you don't actually want to get cold. Those are also the areas that are hardest to keep in the water because they hurt first. So my tip for a lot of women is put on scuba boots or gloves or keep your hands out. And that will allow you to stay in and get the fat burning effects much longer without cooling your core body temperature as much. And there's time and a place for that too, but you're still going to get the whole body cooling but much more comfortably and arguably more effectively if you aren't freezing your hands and feet at the same time. Um, then there's sauna, which I always say if there was the closest thing to a silver bullet that we have, looking at the data is probably sauna. If it was a pill, everybody would take it. But we know that all the meta-analyses that have been done look at sauna use four to five times a week as being one of the biggest levers we have in reduction of all-cause mortality and all the biggest killers of heart disease, cancer, dementia, et cetera. Like all the big problems all seem to be... Um, affected by sauna use. And there are mechanisms here as well. I actually did a study on this during COVID in, with some people in my own area. And we did lab testing before and after because you hear a lot of things about infrared is better or it's not, or it detoxes you better. And when you actually look at the data, it is actually the heat that's the mechanism. And there's very clear cutoffs. So 19 minutes seems to be the threshold at which those mechanisms kick in at ideally above 150 degrees. Um, I'll often aim for we're like 45 minutes at that range. But if you hit that 19 minute threshold, that's where the effects start kicking in. And so sauna on its own has all of those benefits. And I would argue also helps with resilience. You're opening up your detox pathways. As humans, anytime we sweat, we're supporting the body. Um, there's a lot of benefits there as well. Of course, hydration needs to go hand in hand. When you combine them, you actually lose some of the benefits of each one individually, but you also gain a new set of benefits. So I'm 
a big fan of mixing them up. And some days cold therapy, um, which I also like at night because it can help deep sleep. Some days sauna therapy, which I don't recommend right before bed for the same reason. And then contrast therapy, which certainly helps with resilience, but also that vasodilation, vasoconstriction has its own set of benefits related to blood flow and lymphatic drainage and sleep cycles. And so it's just choosing which signaling mechanisms you want to use and which levers you want to turn on in which order. Wow. So I have so much to say to that, but first of all, so we, we got a sauna during COVID, um, an infrared sauna and I, I, my husband and I, I mean, we love it. Like I can't explain to you how amazing it feels and that sweat that I get from it. I, I just absolutely love it um, and highly recommend it for anyone that can, can do such a thing. But over this past weekend, we were up in northern Minnesota and we went to this place that was like a sauna. You know, we rented out the space and it was like there were 12 of us and they had sauna and then you go outside into the snow actually and we they kind of have you go back and forth and I've never done something like that I don't like freezing cold therapy that sounds a little bit hellish to me but coming out of the sauna and like jumping in the snow and laying back in the snow it wasn't bad like for a minute or two but then I would go right back into the sauna so I don't know if I got those benefits that you were describing the combo benefits but I felt amazing at the end of the the experience yeah you probably felt that state change of the endorphins and all the pathways that open up when you do the contrast and it's because it's like think of like a muscle constriction and release it like basically pumps those things. So it's very effective. And the sauna on its own or in contrast therapy in both cases is an exercise mimetic. So this is a really cool thing. Um, I feel like for women, especially is you actually get most of the benefits of cardio exercise from sitting in the sauna, of course, except for the direct muscle benefit. So you are sweating, you're opening up your detox pathways, you're raising your heart rate, um, all of the, you're raising your body temperature. All of those benefits of exercise can be mimicked in the sauna. You still, of course, want to do muscle movement to get the strength and the coordination aspects that you don't get in the sauna, but it's a great way. And you burn similar calories to running from sitting in the sauna for the same amount of time. Wow. Yeah. I, I need to find a way to get a sauna. What do you think about those sauna, like the blankets and those like portable ones? I don't know if it's there. Um, do they have the same benefit? They do have the same benefit. The sauna blankets are tougher for me because you go in with clothes and like sitting in my own sweaty clothes is hard. There's one, um, there's an infrared one now that's a more portable and it's actually EMF shielded as well. And it's less expensive than a lot of the other models. And so that one I find is great for a lot of people and you can work out in it. So dual purpose. Yes. Um, well, they have, you know, I don't know if it's a Minnesota thing, but they definitely have a lot of those like hot and cold therapy. Like they're making it a, a social event and community too. There's like a lot of these portable saunas, so kind of fun for people out there. Um, so um, let's dive in and talk about Wellness, your new product care line. And we know that you've been kind of creating products in your kitchen for years for your family. And now, you know, you're making these products available to everyone. And we're so excited about the launch. And we would love to hear about your products. And I know Stephanie's using a bunch of your products. I'm hoping to order some products and try them out as well. Well, thanks for asking. This has been um, kind of a long time in coming. Like you said, I've been publishing the recipes for a long time. And those are all still available on Wellness Mama. But I realized back to that idea that moms are the most effective and also arguably the busiest people on the planet. Most of them don't want to order 90 ingredients and make toothpaste from scratch. And I also realized 
one of the key components in the health conversation, we are now, it seems like very aware of food and how food impacts our body. And it's starting to become more of the conversation that what we put on our body also very much impacts our body. And we know that the skin being the biggest organ, a lot of what goes on the skin enters the bloodstream. And that's why we see babies born with hundreds of chemicals in their cord blood, which those have gotten through the placenta, which is a highly effective filter. We know this is a big problem. We know that there's plastic under 30 feet of ice in Antarctica. Like this is a worldwide problem. Um, I'm a big believer in the principle of AD20. And I apply this in business. I apply it in my personal life. And I noticed this pattern in people in my life, even family members who had made all of these switches. They ate organic food for the most part. They had integrated all these healthy habits, but they were still using certain personal care products because they worked. And I realized in that interest of how do I best support women, women especially, often, especially in today's world, want to choose the healthier options, but in that area specifically are not willing to sacrifice how they look and how they feel to do it. And so I saw all these women using still name brand toothpaste and shampoo and conditioner, especially because those worked and there weren't natural ones that could outperform the conventional ones. And they weren't willing to have hair that was both waxy and oily and dry at the same time, just to avoid the chemicals. And so I realized if I wanted to help women make that switch, there had to be something that wasn't just comparable, that was better than the conventional one. And that was natural. And so that was kind of the impetus for wellness and why I started with those products specifically realizing that was kind of the 80%. If you can make the switches there, um, the other things are less impactful because they're not on your skin as much. I mean, in a household perspective, things like laundry detergent make a big difference because you're getting low level exposure, both skin contact and inhalation. But when you're talking about personal care, it's what goes on your head and what's what especially goes in your mouth. And so that's why we started with those particular products and then building on that idea that what goes on the body goes in the body. To me, that's a great reason to avoid putting the harmful stuff on your body. And I think that's very much part of the conversation now, but I realize that can also be used in the positive if we invert that and put beneficial things on the body to benefit the body. So it became, how do we create hair food that actually nourishes the scalp and replenishes mineral balance and all these things in the scalp? How do we put things in a toothpaste that are meant to actually stay in the mouth that don't contain a poison control warning and that you don't have to call poison control if your child eats a tube of toothpaste and that you don't actually even have to rinse your mouth after because it has things that are good for your gums. And I have been a student of oral health for a lot of years. I find it so fascinating. And I learned that there's, just like in the gut, there's an oral microbiome that's very delicate and also very connected to the gut microbiome and that you won't see at the same time cavities and gingivitis. And the reason is those require different bacterial imbalances. So in cavities, we see an increase in streptococcus mutans, which S mutans is the cavity causing bacteria. In gingivitis, we see an increase in other bacteria. They're both opportunistic. So they actually keep each other in check, which is why you only see one or the other go out of balance at a given time. But that means if we can support the oral microbiome in healthy ways, just like we would support the gut with probiotics, prebiotics, et cetera, you can do the same in the mouth to keep both of those in check. And the body then naturally addresses things like bad breath and cavities. It's never, I'm always believing we're working actually within the body's natural pathways. We're not bypassing that. We're not creating an effect. We're supporting the body and creating the effect. And so we, the toothpaste is built around hydroxyapatite, which is the mineral that's present in tooth enamel. But then it also has other ingredients that support that oral microbiome so that it can work with the minerals and the vitamins in your saliva to keep your enamel strong and to actually inadvertently whiten teeth more effectively than peroxide by rebuilding that enamel. Okay, this is fascinating. And, you know, I've been 
using, I mean, I'm like, I have the subscription to your toothpaste. That's how much I love it. But my husband is like very anti, I mean, I've been using some sort of natural toothpaste for many, many years. And even my kids are, you know, better, not the best. Anyway, he won't do it. And I'm like, I'm not going to teach an old dog new tricks, but he was talking about his enamel recently and there being an issue. And something you just said really resonated with me. Um, with one of the primary ingredients. So that by using your toothpaste because of that ingredient that will help like build any loss in the enamel or just, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually why it whitens as well. And more effectively, like I don't commercially bleach my teeth. I rely on hydroxyapatite. A lot of people don't realize there's this whole dance that happens between what exists in your saliva, which you support by what you eat and what you absorb through your gut. And then the minerals present in your mouth and then the very active substance of the outer part of your teeth. Your teeth are very much alive. And there's a lot of research that is not commonly talked about in American dentistry that teeth actually can remineralize. The understanding in American dentistry often is that once you get a cavity, you have a cavity and it's not fixable. And if you look at the literature, especially from other countries, that's not actually true. There certainly is a case where when it's gotten through the dentin or you have a really severe damage, um, even if you can rebuild that matrix on top, you're still going to have damage in the tooth. But when we're talking lack of like the mineral deposits breaking down that are leading to yellowing teeth or minor cavities, there is a way to support the body's natural remineralization process. So again, this is not a product doing this. This is just giving your body what it needs to do this thing it already naturally does. And hydroxyapatite is the compound that's naturally found in tooth enamel that is part of that process. And most commercial toothpaste don't use that. They use just forms of calcium or they'll use like abrasive things to actually like pull the stains off the teeth, but they're not providing to the saliva and to the mouth, those minerals that are used in the matrix of rebuilding. And so um, we're one of the few that use hydroxyapatite and we're the only that uses hydroxyapatite with no glycerin. Um, glycerin is another confusing ingredient that's often used in natural toothpaste. And if, you, if you've ever had the experience of using a natural toothpaste and your teeth getting kind of yellowy brown, like dull looking, it's because the theory is that glycerin can actually coat the tooth and interrupt that mineral binding process. And so it prevents, even if there's minerals in the toothpaste, them from adhering to the teeth. So if your teeth start looking a little starved or the color changes or they get grayish, it's often can be from that, or that could be a a potential cause. Um, And so we try to address all of those problems and then put in things like neem and aloe and green tea, which are those things that keep that bacteria in balance. And like anything in health, it's just about getting out of the body's way and letting it do what it naturally does and then giving it the tools to do it. So it's a powder, right? It's, we were able to make it into a paste because I realized people oh. want the experience of it Brushing feeling like a normal teeth. toothpaste. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's like a normal toothpaste. It's minty. It lathers. Um, but the difference being, and this is great with kids, especially you don't have to rinse your mouth out. In fact, I encourage you don't rinse your mouth out, leave those minerals on the teeth while you're sleeping so that the mineral binding can happen. I've known about the glycerin and I've used the powders and all the things. I have a good old holistic dentist. So they're really about educating me on that, but I'd never... I never thought to not spit it out, I guess. So I'm going to do that at night now. So how does that work? You're brushing your teeth. It's all, you know, you said it's like foaming up, whatever. And then you just walk away. You just, you can spit. Oh, you can spit. Like mineral within your mouth. Don't rinse it out. You just don't want to rinse. I got it. And we do have a charcoal one now too, that also does have hydroxyapatite. I actually recommend alternating those. If you're going to use a charcoal toothpaste, not to use it every day, but charcoal is a substance that can help undo stains that have happened from that demineralization and then things being able to absorb into the teeth and alternating them actually seems to be the most effective way to 
get teeth back to their natural white state. Um, and then we're releasing a kid's toothpaste soon because we found oh. some kids don't like the overly minty taste. Yes. The adults went. So those are all coming. Um, and then we haven't publicly announced it yet, but I'll tell you guys first, we yeah. are working on also a nighttime oral probiotic that you swish around in your mouth and then sleep with. So it re- rebalances your oral microbiome while you sleep. Oh, that's wow. awesome. Super that's super cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited um, to try the toothpaste. So, so do, do traditional dentists give you trouble about the toothpaste just out of curiosity? Um, more and more, I've been really impressed. That conversation seems to be shifting. I think the new dentists that are emerging right now have a better understanding of this. And we actually have two dentists on our development team that have vetted everything before we went to production and who have a really good understanding of this. And I love seeing these uh, emerging things in dentistry that are really melding that concept of how do we work with the body. These same dentists are doing things like when they have to do an extraction, they'll draw someone's blood, pull out the platelet-rich fibrin, which is that kind of jelly substance, and they'll actually pack it into where the extraction came from so the body can rebuild that matrix. And they're not having dry sockets, they're not having infections. Um, So they're very forward-thinking dentists. And I'm excited to be able to work with people like that um, who are also having that conversation within the dental industry. Because I think it's a disservice to a lot of us, that idea that the teeth can't remineralize and we've operated on that principle for a really long time. Um, and I also like think just like in medicine, it's not an either, or the best things happen when there's a both. And like, yes, we're all responsible. We're our own primary healthcare provider. We're also our own primary dental provider. Cause we're the ones brushing our teeth, but the best outcomes happen when we partner with a knowledgeable practitioner and when we need specific help. And so I'm excited to see that starting to unfold in dentistry as well. Wow. Yeah. I love how you just said all of that. <laughs> I know. It's fascinating. We, we could yeah. have a whole hour conversation just about just tea. on that. <laughs> but I just love like your ingredients and every product out there that you that you're selling right now are super clean. And you list all you have this whole like ingredient page on your website with all the EWG references, and they're all super low scores, which is you know really hard to do to have like clean, safe, and effective products. Um, can you talk a little bit about? the hair care products, like you mentioned that a little bit, because I know that's a funny one for women, especially like you said, like it's our hair, we want it to, you know, look and feel nice. Um, And about the ingredients and just why it's so important, like switching to a more natural shampoo and conditioner. Absolutely. So just like with laundry detergent, what you put on your hair and your scalp is essentially a low level chemical exposure all day because we don't think about it because we rinse it out, but parts of that remain. And so if your hair smells very uh, like chemically fragrant from your shampoo or conditioner, um, absorbing those scents through your nose is going to have an impact on your body. The fact that it's on your scalp and your face, these are all like very vascular areas that are connected to the body that's entering your bloodstream in various ways. But also um, I often say like the hair is not dirty laundry. And most shampoos are detergent based and they're stripping everything natural from the hair, which over time can actually make hair harder to manage. A lot of women talk about experience of having to wash their hair more because when you wash your hair, you train your hair that it needs to be washed more. Um, But I tried to like go back to first principles with that and say, well, what does the hair and scalp actually need? How do we best support this, this substance that is now not still fully alive once it's exited it's alive and you know the follicle is alive but it's once it's exited as hair it's not fully alive but it does have a structure so how do we best support that and how do we support the scalp and the hair follicle in maintaining strength and integrity over time and the result was what we call internally and I think we may rebrand to externally call it this is hair food and the idea that instead of laundry detergent our hair isn't dirty laundry it's something we want to support. So how do we feed it? And how do we maintain the protein structure of hair? And how do we nourish the scalp with vitamins so that it naturally wants to keep creating stronger hair? And so that's how we built the shampoo and conditioner. 
That's awesome. And in your point with not washing your hair every day, you have a dry shampoo, which I used this morning, which I love. So that helps in between, you know, washing. But that the way that you explain that, I have not heard that articulated that way before. And that's super helpful. I feel like it's a very good analogy too. Um, so I know we're gonna, you know, have to stop wrap up the conversation here shortly. Um we love leaving our listeners with some practical tips and strategies so that they can immediately implement into their lives, kind of wherever they are on their health and wellness journey, especially for women out there and moms, you know, what are your, what are your top, top strategies or, or things that you do on a regular basis that have had you know, a big impact in, on your life and your overall wellness? Well, the good news here is I think in a world where there's always the next supplement and the next biohack and everybody's excited about these things. I think the core things actually are the free habits that if we make them consistent are the most impactful. Um, and so while there's a time and a place for those more nuanced supplements or those biohacks, especially in specific areas, those things will also be more effective if you get the foundation in place first. And so I'm big on sleep. I love people like uh, Molly McLaughlin talking about sleep as a skill. How do we cultivate that skill? I think for moms, of course, we have a little bit of an uphill battle there sometimes with kids, but it's one of the most impactful things we can do. And to that end, sleep starts when we wake up, not actually when we go to bed. And so I tell people one free thing that anybody can do anywhere. And I think people often ignore it because it seems too simple is as soon as possible after waking up, go outside, even if it's a cloudy day, be outside for 10 to 15 minutes. And it doesn't seem like that would have a big impact, but humans are very light dependent beings. Arguably light is actually more important than food for signaling circadian rhythm. Uh, and certainly than supplements or anything else we're going to add in. And that early morning light signaling creates a whole hormone cascade and actually starts your clock for melatonin production at night. So people are into blue blockers and avoiding blue light. That's great. That's important, but it's got to be balanced with bright light. And so I'm a big fan of early morning light and then also midday light, even if it's just for a few minutes. And I've seen in my own labs and in people I've worked with a dramatic shift in hormones when you actually make that a consistent habit. So if you don't believe me, try it and test your labs before and after two months and you will see a change. Um, it's also free, which is great. Um, and so I think that's a big, big part of the conversation. Um, I also think and it's not a popular opinion either because it's not a pill you can take. I think mindset is huge. And so I often say, whether it's in business or in parenting, in health, whatever it is, we are the sum of the questions we ask ourselves and the statements we make internally. So audit those. And if you want to shift your whole entire life, shift the way you talk to yourself, which will also, if you're a mom, shift the way you talk to your kids, which then creates that ripple going forward. Um, but basically the idea that whatever questions or statements you give your subconscious, it will work hard to answer. So if you're asking it, why is this so hard? Why am I so lazy? Why can't I lose weight? It's going to give you all the reasons you can't. And if you shift it, I'm always a fan of how questions over why questions. If you shift it to how is this so much fun? How can I integrate this? How can I make this a great bonding experience with my kids? Whatever it is, then your subconscious will work to do that work for you. I love that. I love both of those things. And I couldn't agree more with both of them. Um, I'm sitting in front of the window as we speak, actually <laughs> looking out, having the light shine on my face. Um, so as we wrap up this conversation, where can people find you? How can they buy your products? I'm Wellness Mama everywhere online. Um, the website with the products is Wellness, which is just wellness with an E on the end. Um, but on social media and podcasts and everywhere, I'm just Wellness Mama. Uh, and I have a question for you actually about your products. I saw on your website, there was something about like, if you're interested in selling them, are, is your plan to actually sell some of these in, you know, a brick and mortar store, like a dentist's office or 
We do have them in some retail stores. Um, Long-term, we might end up talking to bigger retailers like big box stores. Um, For now, I love selling on the website. So I get to have more of a personal connection with people and like have that education piece, which is really fun for me. Um, But my hope is long-term to actually shift uh, in retail as well, just because I think... um, I think the conversation gets nuanced and I've seen when people get upset, for instance, when a big brand buys like Burt's Bees and I've always taken kind of an alternative approach there, which is if we want lasting change, we need both. We need all of us grassroots making the changes in our lives every day. But when a big retailer pays attention and buys that brand, that's actually shifting supply chain and their purchasing power is so much beyond what any of us are doing individually. So we need both and let's support both of those. And of course, maintaining the integrity of the products, but let's have that change happen on both levels. Especially if you can maintain the integrity of the products. I mean, I think that's the key right there is I think some people get frustrated when these big boxes come in and the integrity of the products change. Yes, exactly. And we're seeing it happen. We've seen it with um, Birch Bees. They had a couple changes, but they largely maintained. But then Primal Kitchen, um, they maintain their quality and it's now leading to more natural products in other areas of that massive company beyond just Primal Kitchen. And so I'm a big fan of let's let's tackle all of it at once. Absolutely. I have the same reaction, but I love Primal Kitchen. I love that I can find it in Target now. So, um, well, Katie, this has been absolutely wonderful. Such a joy to have you. Um, I feel like we could have talked forever. But one final question that we love to ask all of our guests is, what does the art of living well mean to you? I love this question and I love that word because it's a part of my brand as well. And I think my answer would have been different 10 years ago. And I think now it's a little bit maybe more uh, woo adjacent if we want to use that word, but that if we think of things like the biology of belief and this, all the emotional parts that we talked about, I think that the art of living well starts with cultivating our inner landscape before, and then the outer is actually a symptom and an expression of the inner instead of the other way around. And I think often we try to, like use the outer pressure to change our inner environment or think we can like use force of will to manage our body into doing what we want. And if we switch that and turn it on its head and work with the inner first and make our body or our expression or anything, our partner in that, it becomes much more effective. Um, I also think there's really cool data happening right now, which is that idea of how we think of something actually can influence how our body responds to that thing. And there have been books in the past, like the biology of belief that explain some of the systems there, but we're seeing studies now where if they give someone um, an amphetamine, but tell them it's a barbiturate, they get tired. Or if they give them a barbiturate and tell them it's amphetamine, they get energy, which, and we know like the placebo is the most effective thing we have. So to me, that's, uh, that brings the question of how do I best use my mindset to be more impactful in my life, impactful in whatever I'm doing. It's going to make all these things we're physically doing more effective, but recognizing that my inner state has a much bigger impact on my biology than I ever thought it did. And that if I'm approaching food with fear, that food is actually going to physiologically affect me differently than if I'm approaching that food with gratitude. Even if the food itself is or is not healthy, that is only part of the puzzle. And so I think um, learning to pay attention to our inner landscape is where it starts for me. That is beautiful. Yeah. I love what you just said. And I think the placebo effect is amazing. And I think people use it in such a negative connotation, like, oh, that's placebo. And I'm like, that's great. It's happening yes. from inside. It's your mindset. Like, And it can be drastic and it can go in the positive or the negative. I look at cases where people are told they have cancer and that they have three months to live. And then when they die, the autopsy reveals it was a misdiagnosis, but they died on cue because they thought they were going to die. Right. Or people have knee surgery to repair an ACL but it was actually a placebo surgery. They got the incision, 
nothing was actually done to their ACL and they get better. And so I'm with you. I'm like, so then how can we best use the placebo to actually learn how to cultivate that inner environment better? Because that benefits everyone instead of ignoring it. Why are we trying to solve for the variable of the placebo being bad? Why don't we solve for the variable of the placebo being helpful? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this has been great. Um, So much, so much inspiration and so many nuggets packed into this conversation. So thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a great day. You're so much fun to talk to. This was awesome. Oh, great. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.